We're in the middle of a series that we're calling Untwisted, which is really about the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians chapter 5. And by way of introduction, I want to do something a little different. I want to begin with a question. The question is this, ever wonder if you're saved? You ever wonder if you're saved? I mean, you declared your allegiance to God the Father through confession and repentance. You were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, that is, God the Son. But there are moments, there are times, there, there are nights when you lay awake wondering if you're really saved. This is why I think coming to a better understanding of the place of the Holy Spirit, that is, God the Spirit, is essential. Think about this verse found in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. And so I would ask you, do you feel drawn to God the Father the way that a child feels drawn to a mom or a dad? I mean, that's really what that word Abba is about. It's a word of intimacy. It's the word that somebody really little is, is what they would say to somebody, their, their father or their mother, that really big person. They would say, Abba, Father. It's a term of intimacy. And that spirit is inside of you testifying in your heart that you're truly a son of God. There's uh, uh, another verse that I would have you think about. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Is God the Spirit, that word sanctifying, we've talked about that before, this word sanctifying is, is, is God, God's Spirit developing in you the character of God. And so the question is the Spirit of God active in your life and you see that you're different today than you were on the day that you were baptized and confessed and repented and were brought into the kingdom of God and received the Spirit of God? Is there anything about your character that has changed more into the likeness of Jesus? Is God the Spirit developing the character of God the Father in you? Now this is really what the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit is you becoming the character of God. It's also a sign that you're saved, that God is alive in your life, has put His Spirit as a power in your life, and one of the signs that you are saved is that you're a changed individual. The fruit of the Spirit is the sign that God is doing something good inside of you, that God is making a difference in your life, that your life looks different, your your words, your actions, your affections, your value system, all of that is different, and that's the difference that the Spirit of God has made in your life. Life without God is a life that is twisted and bent and warped. Life that is captured by sin is a life in which we have been twisted. And at the heart of the gospel is this, that God loves to untwist what is twisted. That God loves to untwist what is twisted. The spiritually dead have become a spiritually alive. The guilty have been forgiven. The estranged have been reconciled. The enslaved to sin have been released and redeemed. Enemies have been brought and made into a family. The weak are made strong. The soul sick are being healed. Prodigals are welcomed home. And the twisted are being untwisted by God's power. The church of Jesus Christ, which we are, 
is a group of recovering human beings representing the kingdom of God by living as salt and light in this creation, in this world, and in this community. Recovering, with God's help, what it means to be a true human being. People that are identified and defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We have already looked at love, we've looked at joy, we've looked at peace. This morning we're going to look at patience. Now, no one denies patience is a virtue. But we all agree that it's a virtue that we want other people to have. I mean, who likes to wait? Anybody here like to wait? I mean, think about grocery stores. I'm, I'm old enough to, to remember when there was just one line at a grocery store. You just got in line and you waited in line until it was your turn. Then they walked you through it. Now there's express lines, 10 items or less. But then the people that had 11 items or 12 items and thought that they were being you know, somehow made to wait insisted that we have an express line not only for 10 items or less, but 15 items or less. And now, to make it even faster, and it does save the grocery stores a little bit of money, we have self-checkout because i got to get my stuff and i got to get out of here. I mean, we live in a culture where being made to wait is a sin. We judge companies on how long they make us wait on the Internet or in line or anywhere else. I mean, boredom is a, second clo- uh, is a close second, but, but the big sin is being made to wait. Some years ago, there was a credit card company. Uh, it was actually three banks that came together in the U.K. to create a credit card that they called Access. It's back in the 1970s. And one of the slogans that they used to, to prompt this card to be applied for was this. Take the waiting out of wanting. Take the waiting out of wanting. And so the impatient people said, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I need. The impatient people went on a spending free that created astronomical debt and has continued so as impatience is fed with credit cards. I mean, does anybody really like waiting rooms? Does anybody like being stuck in traffic? The only time I like being stuck in traffic is when I'm on my way to the waiting room at the doctor's office. Anyone like being in the presence of annoying people? Be honest. Does anybody like being in the presence of annoying people? There's something about being made to wait that brings out the worst in us. I'm indebted to a a Bible professor by the name of Philip Kennison. I think he's still at Milligan College whose writing has helped me to understand that impatience... You know, sometimes we think about, you know, what is patience? Patience is waiting. Waiting is the product. It's the fruit of patience. Impatience, on the other hand, is an unwillingness and even a resentfulness to hand over control to someone else. We're talking to somebody, and we grow impatient with listening, And so we talk right over the top of them. We grow impatient with the slow slow car ahead of us, impeding our progress. And what do we do? We lay down on that horn. We grow impatient with deadlines, and so we decide we got to cut some corners. we got to get there. I mean, there's a way that we can talk about the sources of impatience as idols, 
But there are at least three sources that create that, you know, that are, are what prompt impatience in us. One is the exaltation of productivity. In other words, we're saying, I am what I produce. If I'm anything, it's what I produce. It's the elevation of productivity to the place where it defines my life. And if I want to be defined in proper ways and in good ways and in, in, in positive ways, then I need to produce and I need to produce a lot. Or it might be the elevation of personal schedules. You know, if, if, if nothing, I'm, you know, I'm nothing if not productive, the other is, you've got to get out of my way. I've got stuff to do. And so we grow impatient. I've got to get down the road. We're in a hurry. We've got a calendar. We've got stuff we've got to do. And we elevate that over everything else in life. We've got to get the calendar done. Or, if it's not the exaltation of productivity or the elevation of our personal schedules and calendars, it's the expectations that we have of others. You've got to stop disappointing me you got to produce, or you got to get out of the way. Stop disappointing me. If we were to narrow impatience and patience down to one sentence, it would look something like this. Impatience is very self-centered, whereas patience is other-directed, which means, patient people, that we sometimes have to wait. As children of God, we take our cues from God the Father, who reveals himself over and over in Scripture as patient. In the Old Testament, to Moses, who's standing there with the new tablets, he says in Exodus chapter 34, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, say these three words with me, slow to anger. Say it with me again, but let's say it with some oomph. Slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness. That's God. That's God talking to Moses after he has brought the people out of Egypt to the promised land, to the, at least the gate of the promised land, and uh, they're at Mount Sinai forming as a nation, and they have decided after a little bit of time, not very patient while God and Moses are up there on the mountain, but they've grown impatient, it's time for us to get another God. And he says to Moses, slow to anger, abounding in love. In the New Testament, Peter and Paul write to the church, First Peter and Second Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness, that is, us, humans. Instead, He is patient with you. God is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Turn to the person next to you and just say, God is patient with you. Paul, to the church in Rome, says basically the same thing. He says, do you, do you show contempt? Everybody knows what contempt is, right? Do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's patience does not mean that there is no such thing as God's anger. There's no such thing as God's judgment. Both of those things are realities in the universe. God, though, is not patient for patience's sake. He is patient for my sake. 
God is not patient for patience' sake. He's patient for your sake. He is patient for our sake. If God is not love and if God is not joy, then how can there be peace? And when there is no peace, it's because there is no patience. Patience, as a a fruit of the Spirit, works good into the world in multiple ways, in multiple avenues, multiple opportunities. But I want to give you just two. The first one is this. You know, when we develop, through God's power, patience in our life, patience gives space for people to do the right thing. Patience is how you personally make it better. Has anything... You know, everybody here has had the experience of being with an impatient person, right? I mean, it, there, there is nothing more intimidating. There is nothing more, uh, in, in a lot of ways, dehumanizing and, and objectifying of you as a person than to be with somebody who only sees you for what they can get out of you or they see you as an object that's in the way, that you've done it wrong and that you are no good to them or you're keeping them from doing what they seem to think is the goal of their life. And the patient person is the person that is making it better from your standpoint. Sometimes the right thing means to grow up or to gain a more understanding of life. Patience is what you need to help them grow up. Which means, as we go back to that original definition, patience is really about you not being in control. Patience is about them being in control because they're going to grow at their rate of maturity and growth. Patient people do not take away consequences, but they help people to bear the consequences. Patience is what you do. It's it's giving people space to do the right thing, to grow up, to learn. I have a sort of a sad experience. you know, never would I, I throw myself up here as, as an example, but on one particular day, I sort of got it right. Uh, my son Jordan was uh, at soccer practice, and uh, one of the kids that he played soccer with for many years uh, had gotten a new car, and on that particular day, he drove up in a different car. And as he was getting out and going to practice, I could tell something was wrong. I said, hey, man, where's, where's the car? He goes, well, I was in a car wreck. And, uh, you know, this is what I'm driving now. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I know you really love that car. But here's the thing. That car is replaceable, but you're not. That car is just a car, but there's only one of you. And I, I didn't know what I was saying. I was just trying to help him feel better about something he was sad about. Next thing I know... This kid, the 16-year-old kid, has just got tears coming out of his eyes. And, and I'm standing there, and he's looking at me. He just walks over, and he puts his arms around me and just hugs me. As it turned out, and I don't fault his dad. I mean, I've, I've done the same thing myself. But what happened was this explosion of impatience. And, and it, it left, it etched in this kid's heart an indelible memory. Patience, dads, and patience, moms, is what we bless our children with in allowing them to learn and to grow up and giving them space to get it right. Now, like God, there's time for anger and there's time for judgment. 
But every day, you know what your kids need? A dose of patience. Because in patience, you're saying, I value you. And I value what you're going to become, even though I don't see it today. I value what you're becoming. I value what it is that you want to be and you're striving to be. And I value the fact that you're a human, which does not mean that you're perfect, but it means that you're going to make mistakes. But I'm giving you the space, the way that God has given me space to deal with all of the sins, even giving me the power to overcome it and to be redeemed from it by the blood of the Lamb. I'm giving to you. I'm passing on to you. I'm bestowing on you the same blessing that I have received from God. And it's not just kids, it's employees, it's employers, it's church members, it's elders, it's deacons, it's ministers. Everybody needs to be patient and everybody needs patience. And then the second thing is that patience glorifies God as we trust Him to keep His promises. You know, one thing that, every, that we all have in common, and there's really a lot of things that we have in common. One of the things that we have in common, though, that I want to point out, underscore, is that all of us are tempted every day to grow impatient with God and to take matters into our own hands. Henry Nouwen, he defines patience this way. He says, the word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden, something that you don't see in that moment, will manifest itself to you. You will be tempted to not trust God. You will be tempted to not trust God and His promises and to take matters into your own hands. And it's completely understandable. We live in a place where being made to wait is a sin. We get no help from our culture. It's completely understandable. But know this. When you do not trust God, you're giving God a vote of no confidence. You are blackballing God publicly. One of the most hurtful things that you can say to another person is this, I know you, but I don't trust you. One of the reasons that patience is a virtue and a work of the Spirit is so that when God works in our lives, we don't miss the miracle. We don't miss we don't miss the opportunity to rub shoulders with God. And sometimes, as bruising as that is to us, it is, it is a blessing beyond blessing to know that God specifically knows what's happening in this individual's life, in my life, and in your life, and has, has somehow interceded and intersected with His power and love and mercy. Your life in such a way that you're a completely different individual. You know, Abraham... He's 75 years old. He said, God says to him, you're going to have descendants, which means a son, which he doesn't have. And for the next 25 years, he is going to be tempted, and sometimes he falls to the temptation to take matters into his own hand when God has explicitly said, I will give you a son through that wife. And it's finally, according to Paul in Romans chapter 4, you can read about it in Genesis chapter 15, there's this point where in 
his patience with God, developing patience, he realized that he's not in control, that God is. And he trusted God. And God fulfilled his promise. And we read in Hebrews chapter 6 that after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Boy, there's so much to say about patience. And I, I got to get out of here like you do. You know, with 45 minutes is kind of what we're trying to keep our assemblies to. But I want you to consider two things in developing patience. One is, remember your own patience story. Remember all of the times where you were impatient with somebody and it didn't make it better, it made it worse. Think about all the times that somebody was impatient with you and, and, and how that marked your soul. Think about all the times that somebody was patient with you and the blessing that it was when you realized this person's given me space. They value me enough to give me space and to give me their patience in order to grow and, and to be mature. And then number two, remember, never forget this fact. You're already living in eternity. Recalibrate the way that you think about time. You live, you live right now, not in 365 days a year. You live in 365 billion years in a moment. That's who you are. You are a redeemed human being. Your home is with God, the natural place for a creature to be with its creator. You are a person who exists where there is no time, even today. And one of the hardest parts of the disciple of Jesus is learning to be patient in the middle of an impatient culture. But that is who you are. You are a person who has been given the strength and the love and the joy and the peace to be able to bear up to whatever is placed on you as a burden, whatever disappointment might come your way, whatever consequence might happen in your life, you have been given by God's power patience. 